Thank you for tuning in to the Highest Praise Church podcast. For more information about Highest Praise Church, please visit highestpraisechurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Sherwood Lancaster. Amen. Super Sunday, right? You know what it is? Not just because of a game either. I mean, those every day is a super day. Amen. So we just got this just happened to be a big game today. So we're everybody's look good. You got your team we're representing. I see the, the Panthers are well represented today, so that's good. I see some Chiefs here, I see some Eagles here and some Giants here. I mean just I see a cowboy or two. I mean, you know they're gonna show up. So uh so we have that. Bills. Uh, yeah, gonna love on the Bills a little bit here in a minute. But you know, a couple of things I want to use today, kind of have some fun with, with, with sports. I think sports, you know, we're, we're called fans. Fans is, 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 is short for fanatics. I mean, you know, sometimes it's okay to be fanatical about some things. And the main, main thing to be fanatics about is about Jesus. How many fanatics we have? How many fans of Jesus we have? Got to be a little fanatical. A little fanatical, so we like to do that. But I kind of broke the day down. I got some got some videos I want to show you. Kind of kind of going to use some sporting events to show us some things that that I think apply to us in life and what we can learn. One of them is going to be about comebacks. Everybody loves a good comeback, right? So we love to see sports and see comebacks. Um, one thing I want to teach you today or, or bring up is that that God does care just as much about the second half as He does the first half. You know, the second half, what, 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 what do you mean talking about a game? No, I'm talking about in life. He cares more about us today, even he does about what we did yesterday. Hey, maybe you might have gone through some stuff. We might have stumbled through some stuff, might have fell out some stuff. But how many know we can change some stuff today? That, so somebody might be a second half team, and, and God cares all about that second half. He cares more about your future than does his past, your past. He cares about who you are becoming than who you've been. How many are so thankful that he, he cares more about who you're becoming than who you've been? The devil likes to beat us up over the fact of who we used to be, but how many know we're not, we're not who we used to be? We're not as good as we're going to be, but we sure ain't in the condition we used to be, right? And so I'm going to talk about some comebacks. I'm going to show you some comebacks. Uh, first of all, let me warn you, I am one of God's most pathetic creatures. I am a Red Sox fan. I am a huge Red Sox fan. Any Red Sox fan in the house? Steve, I got you. I feel the love. I feel the love, okay? And so I'm going to pull out from 04. My first comeback story here is about 04. And any, any Red Sox fan and probably any Yankee fan realize 04 is a very special year to us because we were once again found ourselves just one series away from the world. World Series, and and there was the dreaded Yankees standing in our way, and now this is our year. Again, this was our year. We were supposed to make it. It was going to happen. We thought 03 was our year. We didn't make it. Now 04 is our year, and we find ourselves down 0 to 3. That means we've played three games at the best out of four out of seven series, and so now we're down 0 to 3. The Yankees have won the first three games, and no professional team had ever come back from a 3-0 deficit, which means now we've lost the first three, and the only way we can win, make it to the World Series, we've got to win the next four, and it's never happened before. And so, anyway, I go ahead and get the suspense out of the way. We did come back, and we did win, and not only we win that one, then we swept um, the uh, the Carlos in the next series, and it was just great. We won the World Series, and it was awesome. But I want to talk about the comeback. I, I found, I, re- I remember this interview, Dan Sonashi, he was the uh, Boston Globe beat writer for the uh, for uh, for the Boston Globe, for Boston at the time, and and he, he, he was just slamming Obviously, he was like all of us. He was upset because we was supposed to win this series, and we were not. And so he has an interview with Kevin Millar, who's our second baseman. The one thing he said, and I thought was very important, and I, I found I found the video. We're going to show that. Then we're going to go into uh, going through the video of some of the comeback of that series because I think it's important. But what Kevin Millar said, he said, even though they're down 0-3, he said, don't let us win today. Hey, you know that sometimes the enemy doesn't just need to give you one more opportunity, and but God is always about one more opportunity. And so that was the main point. And so Kevin and Laura said, don't let us win today. We did win today, make it three to one. We won the next four, and then ended up going to the World Series. And then for all you Bills fans, I got uh, 1993, the Bills coming all the way back. They were down 33 points to the Houston Oilers, the old Houston Oilers, who's now the Tennessee Titans. They came all the way back. So we're going to talk about some comebacks a little bit. I'm going to show you some comebacks here. Then I'll be back um, and talk to you a little more about coming back. Okay, so let's let's roll the tape.
wanted to go to the championship series and lose. That was our that was our job. If we get swept, that was our that was our whole our job. But let me tell you, don't let us win today. Okay. We got me tomorrow. And we got show game six. situation that really shouldn't have been. And now Alan Nippery, all it takes is one out to put the Boston Red Sox in the World Series. Well, one more out and that changes. Ground ball on the infield. And in the American League, Boston is second to none. The Red Sox have done it. They've pulled off the miracle. The most stunning comeback in baseball history. The Boston Red Sox become the first team ever to win a series. Went down three games to none. They whip the New York Yankees four straight. And it's on to the World Series at Fenway Park on Saturday night. is here for the comeback. I know you might be down, but you're never out, right? Life might have you down, but you're never out. Anyway, I just want to show that, show a couple of comebacks just to get us to realize that no matter what life throws at us, that, you know, it's never over. And so God always has a plan. Uh, I think the biggest comeback, though, if, in, in history is Jesus. 
You say, okay, where are you going with this? Well, first of all, man, he was down. I mean, they, they nailed him to a cross. He suffered up there. He died up there. And then they took him and they put him in a, in a tomb because he was dead. And he stayed there not for one day, not for two days, but even on the third day, Amy knows he was down and the enemy thought it was over, but it wasn't over. And the greatest comeback ever, he's the only, he's the first one. He's the first begotten of the death. So he defeated death, hell, and the grave. So, I mean, I mean, that's a greater comeback than, than anything we just saw up here. That's a comeback. And so since he is the God of the comebacks, he's the king of the comebacks, he's the father of the comebacks, so no matter how far down you are, I got good news for somebody. You got a comeback in you. And if you've never had a comeback, you got at least one comeback in you. And if you got several comes back, that means you got one more left in you. Because greater is he that is in us than he's in the world. Amen? God's not done with us. My favorite guy, though, obviously Jesus is the one we celebrate, but I like Thomas. I like Thomas. And the reason why I like Thomas, because as soon as we say Thomas, the Apostle Thomas, the first thing we think about is doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, right? That's the first name that comes to our mind. And the bad thing about that with doubting Thomas is that he believed in Jesus more than he didn't. But yet, I mean, that's, that's how people tag us. They tag us with the, with the negativity. And, and his problem was that he saw Jesus was nailed on the cross. He saw him suffer. He saw him die. And they saw him put him in a tomb. And he, and he walked away and went back with his, with his life now that Jesus was dead. And then the disciple says, no, no, we've seen him. He, he rose. We, we, Peter and John come to him and say, we've we seen him. We, we were walking with him on the road of Emmaus. And we, we, we know he's alive. And they come, they come to Thomas, begin to tell Thomas. They say, hey, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He says, unless I see him, at least I can put my hands in his nail print hands. At least I can put my hand in his side where, that, where I saw that sword go in. He said, I won't believe it's him. But then the Bible says about that time Jesus showed up in the room. How many knows the more it, the, the, the point that you doubt the most, that's when Jesus will show up in the room. And I believe somehow or another Thomas was looking for him. And the Bible says when he did, Jesus showed up. He put his hands on his, on his hands. He put his hands on his side. And the Bible says he fell on his knees. And he said, my Lord and my God. He knew he was. And that's a great story. But the one thing I love the most about Thomas that you don't read in the Bible, but you can, you can study it out, that when Jesus gave them the great commission, and the great commission is now I want you to go through all the world. And I want you to tell the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's not just a message. It is the gospel is good news news. Go tell everybody that I was dead, but now I'm alive. And that's all he told him to do. He said, I want you to go and tell everybody that, that I am, that I am. I am who I said I was and that go and tell the whole world. And, and, and if you study out all the disciples, I did a study on this years ago, that all the disciples left and Jerusalem was like the hub, okay? And so they would go and they would go ahead and they would go and they would, they would, they would spread the gospel. They go tell people, hey, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And they would come back whenever they got down. They would come back whenever, you know, the Jesus said, I'm sending you out as, as lamb amongst wolves. How I many know it's tough? sometimes. Not everybody wants to hear the gospel. Not everybody wants to hear the good news. And they would come back, you know, they would, they would get, you know, they would get, you know, their, their, somebody to speak life into them and, you know, it's, it's okay. And But the whole thing about Thomas we found out when we studied his life out is Thomas never came back. He never came back to Jerusalem once he left, which showed us that once he believed, he believed and he went out. So I will remember Thomas today, not as doubting Thomas, but I called him believing Thomas. And I think that's one of the greatest comeback stories there is. So no matter how long you've doubted, the main part is today you believe and you're never going back to where you used to be. You're always going forward. So that's the thing I love about Thomas. But at every moment, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you to turn your back on your yesterday because that's the first thing we got to do. You can't do anything about yesterday. You got to turn. It's just like the Buffalo Bills. I showed the Bills a while ago because they can't do anything about that horrible first half they had, but they can put their face towards the next half or whatever quarter, wherever you're at with life. How many know that Jesus is going to help you with that? If you start living for Him today, when you're ready to make a comeback, Jesus is ready to take you there. How many know you can't make a comeback without it? He cannot make a comeback without. So you might know a friend, you might know a neighbor, you might know a situation of somebody that needs a comeback, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus, he is the king of the comeback. Amen? And if you want to come back, today's the day to make a comeback. Even better than anything we see. If you're going to have a comeback, the next thing I want to talk about, there's three things I'm going to talk about today. I want to talk about comebacks. I want to talk about having a winning attitude. 
How many knows winning attitude is very important? I don't know what Mara Levy told Buffalo in there. I don't know what uh, what Terry Francona told, who was the manager of the Boston Red Sox, told them when they were down three to nothing. But I'm telling you, the first thing I know that Kevin Millar was telling that reporter, he said, don't let us win today. We can't win four games today, but we can win one. What is that? That's a winning attitude. That's a positive attitude. So I want to show some things here because in the in the sports world, there was a, there was a call. It's called the, the guarantee. And some of you older guys are going to remember this. But this is Joe Namath. And Joe Namath, man, a guarantee. His guarantee was back in the day, back in the 60s, that was today is the AFC uh, against the NFC, and all of them are in the NFL. Back then, it was the AFL against the NFL. So it was a totally different league, and they would come together and have the Super Bowl. And this was the third Super Bowl. And the thing about it is the NFL was king. The NFL was king today. It was king then. And the AFL was, was, a, little, was, a, was a smaller league. But it just so happened they still had some good players, but their teams could not match up with the NFL. But the New York Jets made it to the Super Bowl in 1969. And Joe Namath, who was a quarterback, he stepped on the scene. They put a microphone in front of his face. He says, we're going to win. He said, we're going to win. Matter of fact, he said, I don't think we're going to win. He says, I know we're going to win. It's called a guarantee. And it was a positive attitude that made a difference in that game. So let's show a little bit of clips of that. Then we'll talk about positive attitudes here for a second. I think we got a heck of a shot of winning. We can beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. Yes, Namath is on the hot seat. Most of the pressure is on him. He has said that the Jets are going to win. He doesn't even predict it. He said, I guarantee a Jet victory. Attitude is a whole lot in life, and I had a terrific attitude about that game. I know we're going to win. I have that attitude. I feel that way, and it's not overconfidence thing. It's football sense. Talking about guaranteeing we're going to win, yeah, that's right, that's the way we felt. Penalties! No penalties, let's get touchdown up there. We had him 16-0 at that point. Namath, red hot. He's read the Baltimore tricky, sophisticated defenses, and he has led his team beautifully. I remember looking up and seeing 6-11 on the clock, and I never asked the good Lord for a victory, but I did say, please let that clock run, run, clock run. Unitas again, the pass to Richardson, has the ball, the game is over, the New York Jets are the world champions. They have upset the Baltimore Colts and beat them handily here today. We all felt we could win, we won. Baltimore felt they could win. And he walks off the field, holding up the number one, because then they made a statement. He says, we all felt like we can win, and we won. How many of sometimes you just got to feel like you're going to win? You got to know, know you're going to win. The Bible says that we, we walk by faith, not by sight. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it sounds like, no matter what the circumstances is, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what, what your friends say, no matter what the statistics say, whatever it is, you've got to have a winning attitude. You've got to have an attitude. So a couple of things I want to give you here about an attitude. The first thing I want us to learn is, is that we've got to have a bold attitude. How I many that was bold? I mean, if you play in a league that's never beat another league, you want to be the first at something. How I many know you've got to be bold? You got to be bold. I, I want to take a, a Bible story here, and I was over in uh, in, the, in the book of Exodus, and in the book of Exodus, we know there's a story. Uh, it, it's, it's it's like Pharaoh in Egypt against Moses and and Israel. Pharaoh and Egypt is like the NFL in that game, and and Moses and Israel was like the AFL. They were the upstarts. You know, they haven't really done anything yet, and but but God set them free. God set them free from the Egyptian bondage. We know that whole story. And they're marching to their freedom. They're marching to the promised land. And then Pharaoh changed his mind and he started coming after them. He started coming after them everything he had. And, and here's the children of Israel. They, they think they've got the victory. They think everything is great. And they turn 
around and can see the horizon. They see a bunch of dust. They see, they see this great big army coming against them. And how many know that might get you to change your mind sometimes? I mean, you think you're good because you got a positive attitude in church and then Tuesday afternoon comes around and you see the dust of the enemy coming after everything you have and then you got to make a decision. Are we going to roll over and give up? Are we going to have a bold, positive attitude that whatever God said he can do, he can still do it? And the Bible says here that, that it says in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptian marched after them. And they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. How many knows to have a bold attitude, the first thing you got to do is make sure you do not let fear rule over you. Fear is the opposite of faith. You can't have faith and fear cannot coexist on the same field. It just does not. Fear is always the enemy of faith, but faith always cancels out all fear. Matter of fact, the Bible says perfect love cancels all fear that you don't ever have to fear God not ever loving you because perfect faith always cast out all fear. There's another story I'm reminded of in 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 16. It's Elisha and Gehazi. And Elisha, he's a prophet and he's he's given all the secrets to all the to, to the Syrian army. And the army they keep attacking Israel and then they started listening to uh to to Elisha and Elisha kept giving them the, the enemy's playbook. Can you imagine today if the Eagles had the had Patrick Mahomes playbook? Then the defense will know exactly when they're gonna run a sweep. He knows when they get ready to do an end around. He knows they're getting ready to do a post. He understood every play if they had it. Well, that's what was happening. That was Elisha. He knew the enemy's playbook because he was a prophet of God. And every time they went to attack Israel, then Israel knew it so they would move. And then he says, Who keeps telling them that we're coming? And they said, Well, it's Elisha. So they knew, long story short, they knew where Elijah was staying and so we know the story that how the enemy came in and surrounded the town where Elijah was staying and this the enemy was there they were there with their horses and chariots and they were there just to get this one man because they were tired of him telling them everything they were going to do and they woke up uh, Elijah woke up that morning and his and Gehazi his servant went out like he always does to get ready for the day and when he did he looked over the hill and he saw hillside and he saw the horses and chariots of the enemy surrounding them Oh my goodness. How many knows it's hard to be full of faith whenever you got the enemy has surrounded you? But he went and woke up Elisha, and Elijah says, Ho, 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 wait a minute. Do not fear. He said, because what you cannot see in the natural, I can see in the supernatural, and there's more for us than there is against us. You can always, don't ever have to worry about being fearful because God always has one move left. And no matter how much the enemy throws against you, no matter what he throws at you, there's always more for you than there is against you. And that's what he told them there, and that's having a bold attitude. That's having a faithful approach or a faithful attitude, knowing that God always has more for you than it does against you and we know the story how the enemy was defeated that day just like we know the story of Moses that whenever he stood on the embankment and he stood up against the water and there was the Red Sea and here comes the dust bowl of the Egyptian army coming against him and here's Moses standing there he says I know we're not supposed to be fearful I know we're not supposed to give up I know we're supposed to have a bold uh, bold attitude but God I need your help and God told him and this wasn't Nike that made this slogan this was God that made this slogan because he said it thousands of years before Phil Knight said it. He says, hey Moses, he says, you want to know what to do? He says, yeah. He says, just do it. Do what? Just go forward. He says, I can't go forward. There's, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. He says, I can't, I can't go forward. There's this body of ocean or body of, of sea here in front of me and I can't go forward. He says, take what you got and put it in the water. How many knows that God don't have to give you something that was to be victorious? He's already given you, given you everything you need to victor be victorious. What was it that Moses had in his hand? He had a staff. He had his rod and he had a staff in there. That's what he he was using them like a walking stick. Everywhere he was going, he had it. It helped him through the wilderness. It helped him to get delivered. It helped him to get to that point. And now here he is standing at the Red Sea. And here comes the enemy coming against him. And he says, what do you want me to do? And God says, just do it. What do you want me to do, God? I want you to use what you've what you, has got you to this point. I want you to use it has made you 
through the game of life to the very point of which you are. And the Bible says he took his staff and he put it in the water. And I always like to say this is what it kind of gets like a nursery rhyme because God huffed and he puffed and he blew. And when he huffed and he puffed and he blew because the Bible says that God sent a strong wind and that strong wind parted the waters and that the Israelites was able to walk across some dry ground and the, and the Egyptian army was completely destroyed. Why? Because he just did it. If you want to be victorious, you want to have a great comeback, if you want to have a positive attitude, if you want to be bold, have a bold attitude, sometimes you just got to do it and know that God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll go with you everywhere you go. He says, I'll always be there. All you have to do is walk by faith and not by sight. It doesn't matter how bad a situation looks. It doesn't matter how far back you are. It doesn't matter how many generational curses you have, have been born into. God says, if you use what I've given to you to get this far, he'll take you all the way through because God doesn't just get you to the third quarter. He gives you what you need to get all the way through the fourth quarter. You're not here just to show up for the big game. God has always given us everything we need to win the big game. How many believe it today? See, that's what we have to do when we celebrate these games. These guys, I, I told them, give me a locker room. I didn't say it in the first show. I said, give me a locker. First, they had a football field. So now I want a locker room back, background. I want this to remind us that, like, I'm your coach, and, and every single one of you, the players. And, and I, if, if this was the case, I'd be telling you right now that if God got us to the big game, then God's given us everything we need to win the big game. I mean, we're not here just to show up. And the church is not on this planet in 2023 just to show up. Up. We're here to be victorious, and God has never lost a battle, and God will never lose a battle. And everything that He has, He says we have also. Amen. And so, greater these things shall we do. So, this is what God is telling us, and this is why it's, it's very important to have a good attitude. And then I began to think about number three. What's number three? And I thought about just just to show the Yankees found a little love uh, since they're hurting after the last video I showed. I'm going to use Yogi Berra, and not Yogi Bear, that was a cartoon, Yogi Berra. <laughs> well, Yogi Bear, that's boo-boo, right? <laughs> His buddy. Yogi Berra was a was a catcher for the uh, for the New York Yankees and and he he, he was known for great slogans. He, he was very positive. I mean, always always say some stuff. And one of the favorite uh, slogans he he said or, or words he said he said it ain't over till it's over. How many know it ain't over till it's over? It ain't over till it's over. And he said that the Yankees was down independent and they were down 0-2 and they came back into one because he said it ain't over till it's over. So I want to talk about it here in a second, but before I do that, I've got a couple of other clips I want to show you. One of them is Cal versus Stanford. It's simply called the play. It's called the play. Stanford was up on Cal. They were up. They were up by five points, um, and then uh, five or six, five points, and and they they kicked off the one with four seconds to go, and and Stanford didn't have any other play but just to start throwing the ball around and see what would happen, and then they but they did. I'm sorry. Stanford kicked off the Cal, and Cal runs it all the way back, and the, but the Stanford fan um, band was already on the field, so I want you to notice that Trumbull player, he, he, he just bit the dust, man. This guy ran into him. So we're going to show you that one. The next one I'm going to show you for all you Roll Tide people, I'm going to show you Auburn's big comeback against Bama, so get ready for that. Um, and then, of course, Go State. I'm going to go 1983 and show you NC State great comeback against Houston because I'm a state fan and I'm the pastor and I get to do it. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and, so, and so it ain't over till it's over, okay? So let's roll that. by Stanford. You have to give them all sorts of credit. Fourth and 17 at their own 13-yard line to defeat Derryman in the face, and they saved it. They pulled it out. What a show. All right, there we go with the kickoff. Harmon will probably try to squib it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rogers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. Oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to go into the end zone. Will it count? The Bears have scored, but the bands are out on the field. There were flags all over the place. Every 
is going around on the field. And the Bears! The Bears have won! The Bears have won! The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. California won the big game over Stanford. Oh, excuse me for my voice, but I have never, never seen anything like it in the history of I've ever seen any game in my life. The Bears have won it. There will be no extra points. So I guess if this thing comes up short, he can field it and run it out. All right, here we go. 56 yarder. It's got, no, does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. He's going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the midfield goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Holy cow. Auburn wins. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl in the most unbelievable fashion you will ever see. I cannot believe it. 34-28. And we thought a miracle in Jordan hair was amazing. Oh, my Lord in heaven. Chris Davis just read it. 109 yards. And Auburn is going to the championship. Oh. It looks like Akeemon Bailey. Who is Drexler guard? Drexler's staying inside. Looks like he might be on Charles. Oh, dangerous pass. No, it's the half-court trap that Houston's using. Now, Jim Valvano might not have anticipated this, so he'd probably call that timeout if a player gets in trouble. He has these three guards in there now as Gannon's in there with Wittenberg and Lowe. Down to 25 seconds. Dangerous pass. This is a really interesting strategy by Houston. They're aggressive now. Not staying back. Well, remember they have a team in there for, to block anything that goes inside. Down to 14 seconds. Oh, almost stolen by Drexler. They, Boy, is he good at they've that. They've got to drive to the basket. It's down to seven seconds. You can see the time. Wittenberg. Oh, it's a long way. Get you fired up. I mean, I mean, we run outside right now and just win at something, right? You know, going back to that Kyle Stanford game, you always remember one thing you look at that whenever the marching band, you know, you know, talk, talk about being over, you know, just, just overconfident. They kick the ball off and, and, and California still has a chance to run it back. But the marching band, you, you wonder, well, why is the band on the field? Because they're already marching out there. I think they've already won. I mean, that's what the enemy does sometimes. He strikes up the band. He thinks he's already won. He thinks he has your family. He thinks he has your joy. He thinks he has your peace. He thinks he's got your daughter. He thinks he's got your son. He thinks he has your marriage. And about time he's bouncing and throwing the tunes at it, the next thing you know it, God gives you the play that you need to run. You go all the way through his band and, and just knock down the trombone player and everything else, and you get to celebrate your victory anyway. That's what God does, that we're never done whenever God's dealing with anything because it ain't over till it's there. Everybody say it ain't over till it's there. Everybody be Yogi Bear. Don't say, don't go say Yogi Bear now. It's Yogi Bear. I like you know what you're talking about. I want to close on this. There was a, there was a, um, there was, there was, there was, a, there was a picture, um, and I, I, I've seen the picture years ago, and I heard a sermon preach on, on this whole thing, but I want to bring it up uh, during this time here because it was, it, it, it's, a, it's a story about, about the game of chess. How many has ever played a game of chess before? Okay, a little bit. How many has ever? How, how about how many has ever played checkers before? Oh yeah. See, we're Southern people down here. We're more checker people. Not a game of checkers, please. 
kind of go up, up north a little bit more, they're probably a little more checker. I mean, chess than it is checkers. But, you know, southern folk, we kind of like chess because it's fast, quick, to the point. We don't have to think a whole lot. We just kind of go after it. The game of chess is, is all about thinking. It's all about strategy. It's all about all about moving. And you got you got different pieces on the strategic pieces on the board. You have little pawns and, and little pawns. You, know, you kind of use them just to get in the way of the, you know, uh, of the other uh, offensive weapons that the other team might have or the other, other player might have in the game of chess. The bottom line is, is the, 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 the whole point of the game of chess is, is that both, uh, both players, they have, they, have, uh, they have pawns, they have knights, they have rooks, they have bishops, they have, um, um, I think that's all of them. They, and, and of course, huh? Oh, yeah, of course, you got the king and you got the queen. And so the queen, she can go, she pretty much handles the whole board. She can do whatever she wants to do all over the place. But everybody's there to protect the king, is there to protect the king. And so you got the king there. And the way you win at chess, you have to get the king into a position to where he can't move. And once he can't move, then you have him in checkmate. That means he's trapped. That means he's, he's concealed. That means there's nowhere for him to go, that he's in a place that, that, that there's, there's nothing else to do. How many know sometimes the enemy likes to get us in a place that we don't have anywhere to go? We can't end up and we can do. Well, there was a there's a picture. I want you to put a picture up here, and this picture here is actually called Checkmate. It's actually called Checkmate. And so this is a picture, it's kind of like a Rembrandt. It's, it's from uh, during that same era, years and years and years ago, but it's a very important piece uh, of a, a great a great painting. But um, years ago, uh, there was uh, a couple of decades ago, there was a European chess tournament going on in Europe. I think it was somewhere in England. Uh, a, a European, um, it was called a Masters Chess Tournament that was going on. And so you had all the top chess players in the world that are there for uh, trying to get distinction of being the greatest chess player there was. And so they're going through all these chess match matches. And this one uh, chess master, whenever he had in between games he was playing, he got up to stretch his leg. Well, kind of like it is in here today, there's a mirror of this particular painting. And he's just stretching his legs and he walks up to it and he just, you know, just resting himself. And so he just stands there. And we can see the different pieces. I mean, you can't really tell where you are. It's really hard for me to because it's not just your traditional um, chess piece, but all the pieces represents the, the pieces on which uh, I just aforementioned. But obviously the whole point of it is, is this guy over here in the red, this is the devil. This depicts the devil. And this guy over here, he's he's just a young man. And and the whole the, the artist is saying his reason for his painting is that this is the 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 devil, he's playing for this young man's soul here, and he has in the, the, the name of the picture, and there was a there was a uh, title on the bottom of the painting. It's called Checkmate. It's actually called Checkmate, and so you kind of see the grin on the devil's face over here because kind of sinister grin because he knows he has him and he has him in checkmate. And so the guy's sweating out because he's about to lose his soul because his king is in checkmate. The angel sitting there, she's she's sad because you know the young man is getting ready to be in checkmate. Well, this young European chess master who's in between games, he walks up to the painting, he just stands there, and he stands there, and he stands there, and they say he stood there for a long time, and then finally he he said, started screaming, no. He says, no, 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 no. They're like, no, what are you talking about? What like interrupting the chess match here? He says, no. He says, he says, this is not right. So what do you mean it's not right? He says, his king has one more move. His king has, he's not in checkmate. This king has, now to our eyes, we wouldn't see it. To most people's eyes, you wouldn't see it. But to a chess master, he could sell, see it. And maybe the, the painting of the picture, he knew the game of chess, but he wasn't a chess master. And he thought, playing the part of the devil, that the devil had this young man in checkmate. And maybe nobody else had him in checkmate. But to the chess master, he realized that, wait a minute, this guy has one more move left. And so what's the application today, pastor? That no matter how the enemy thinks he has us, no matter when the enemy has us in a corner, no matter when the enemy thinks he's always screaming, checkmate, I got your son, I got your daughter, I got your marriage, I got your life, I got your body, I got your soul, I got everything about you, but we have to understand that our king always has one more mood left. 
and we might not need a chess master to show us today but I'm here to tell you that painting is wrong and it was proven that day that painting is wrong and the enemy's always trying to put a picture or a painting in front of you that he's got you in checkmate and that he's got a little snore about him he's got a little a little arrogance about him but I'm here to remind somebody that the king how many knows who the king is we start about talking about it his name is Jesus and you're never trapped you're never condemned you're never you're never at the end of the road because our king always has one more move left before it's over how many believes it how many is thankful for that this morning give you a hand clap and play amen a couple things hit my mind as we close on this and the first one is John 10 and 10 and in John 10 and 10 because this is what the enemy does we already know what it says he said but the enemy comes except for to steal and to kill and to destroy that's what Jesus says and we always get caught up on the fact, oh man, the enemy's killing me, the enemy's destroying me. But how many knows he can't kill you and he cannot destroy you until he first steals from you? He cannot. He can't do two and three until he first does number one. And so that's what he always comes to do. He always tries to steal our joy. He tries to steal our hope. He tries to steal our faith. He tries to steal our destiny. Everything that we thought we were going to be, he tries to steal it. And if he can steal it, then he can kill us and he can destroy us. So I'm here to tell you today, before the big game, don't let the enemy steal your joy. Don't let him steal your hope. Don't let him steal your peace. Don't let him steal your destiny. Don't let him steal your victories because you don't ever get any victory without a battle. But with every battle that you win, that's a victory. That's a true victory. And the enemy's always trying to steal your victory. And we just sung a song a while ago that, that, that we're going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. And everything the enemy meant for evil, God's going to turn around to good. How many believe God can do that? Because the king always has one more move left. And the whole world might see your pain and the whole world might look at your situation and the whole world might say there's no hope. There's no hope for you. There's no hope for your children. There's no hope for your marriage. There's no hope for your situation. But I'm here to tell you we don't serve a king. We serve the king and he always has one more. So the devil be honest with you. He can wipe that silly looking grin off of his face because he does not have you. God has you. Come on. I said he has you steal from you and if you do not let him steal it then he cannot kill you and he cannot destroy you amen everybody stand to your feet i got one more story to tell you because i flipped back in a couple chapters before that in albany and john chapter number eight and john chapter eight is called the woman that was caught in adultery she was caught in adultery in the very act and so the bible says that that obviously it was this religious guy and we know it was a guy because you know you can't you can't do it you can't commit adultery by yourself if you're by yourself it's not adultery so obviously it had to be a man there but these these religious people they went up and they went in and they called these two and they grabbed the woman because the, the Jewish law says that if the woman's caught in the very act of adultery then she must be stoned and so you know, kind of in my picture that this these Pharisees, it was a Pharisee that had them, they were the they were the uh, they were the students of the law and they and they they, they took this woman and, it, and kind of in my picture they they got like it's like having the, the word in one hand and a rock in the other. And they took this woman who was caught in adultery and they took him to the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says they threw her down at the feet of Jesus. How many of you want to condemn somebody? The last place you might want to, you can take them to church, you can take them to religious people, you can take them to somebody else you know, but do not throw a person you want to be condemned at the feet of Jesus. Come on, church. How many thankful today that you don't know how you got there, but you are way past go and you are way past coming back. But somebody or somehow or another, whether it was you or somebody, you ended up at the feet of Jesus. And this woman was thrown down at the feet of Jesus. And I can hear these guys. This is what they said. They said, hey, Jesus, we got you. See, that's what enemy's always trying to do. He's trying to make you think you ain't checkmate. He's always making you think you don't have any other move left, that it's over. And that's what they did this woman. They threw her down at the feet of Jesus. Hey, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. I mean, in the very act. And the word says... 
who's caught in adultery should be stoned. But what sayest thou? That's what he said. This is also the same story that the Bible says that Jesus was down on his knee. He brought the woman to him just to look at the lady. And up there he saw all the accusers all around about him. This is also the story the Bible said that Jesus took his finger and began to write in the sand. He said, well, the Bible don't say what he was wrote in the sand. No, we don't know what he said. We don't know what he didn't say. But here's what I believe. Here's, here's, here's my two cents worth. They kept on saying what the word said. The word says such as these should be stoned. But what saith thou, Jesus? But how do you know that Jesus knows exactly who he is? And if that's what the word says, how do you know that he is the word? has been spoken to you. Jesus always has the last word because in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word. So no matter what the enemy is throwing at you today, no matter how far back the enemy thinks you have, no matter how far away he's stolen it from you, no matter how bad you think your attitude is here that you have against your life, I've got good news for you. Jesus always has the last word. And the Bible says that don't condemn you and let he who's without sin cast the first stone it's like a fish tank don't it but it's not it's it's dropping up the rocks because they all knew that they were sinners and Jesus and they all begin to walk away and Jesus says woman see he's he's so cold and still like this I don't know what he said. You, I, I can't. You can't. You can't prove that he didn't say it, and I can't prove that he did say it. So, seeing that it's my sermon and my microphone, I can say this. I can't prove he did. You can't prove he did. But I believe that he wrote something that only him and her could see. And in my book, he wrote, "I am the Word." Because he kept saying, "The Word said." The Word said. But Jesus says, "I am the Word." And she looked and saw that he was the Word. She looked at Jesus, Jesus looked at her. He said, hey, look, where are your, where are your, where, where's your ones condemned you, right? Where's your accusers now? He said, they're not here. He said, well, neither do I accuse you either. Get up and walk, and she left. Happy knows that the enemy, them guys, when they drug her up there, they might have been saying, check me, check me. She's condemned. She's trapped. There's no way out. But how many know that Jesus, who's the key, he always has one more move left. So I'm here to encourage somebody today that we're not just playing a football game. We're not playing a baseball game. We're not playing a basketball game or a hockey game. This is about the game of life. But I got good news for you today that the enemy does not have you at checkmate. The enemy does not have you condemned. He does not have you trapped. He does not have you in the rope because we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The thief comes with the kill, sin, and destroy. But Jesus says, I come that you might have life and have my life more abundantly. That means it ain't over till it's over and it's not over yet. And we still win. How many believe that this morning? Come on, give the Lord. Come on, let's sing it one more time. Turn it.
ask you, I want to pray over you today because there might be somebody here this morning and say, you know what? I feel checkmate. And the enemy is killing, the enemy is destroying because he's been stealing. The Bible says, let he who stole steal no more. And I believe today is the end of your checkmate. That God's getting ready to move you in a position to where you've been trapped. You're not trapped anymore. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to pray over you. But before I pray over this entire congregation, I want to give someone an opportunity today to have had the complete best victory you ever had. The biggest victory that's going to change your life. It's going to start a domino effect in your life. That every defeat is going to turn into a victory. But God's called you to the big stage for such a time as this. If you want to change everything, you want to say, you want to get out of checkmate today and start getting back in the game, I want you to throw your hands up right now because you can't do it by yourself. Hands are already going up. You can't do it by yourself. But we're here, we're here to serve Jesus. Yes, and Jesus, he's never lost a battle. He's never, he's never not been victorious. He's always come out over top. He's the king of the comeback this morning. He's the king of the great attitude this morning. And it's never over whenever Jesus is in the house. We got hands come all over this place. How many Christians today said, you know what? I'm tired of the enemy stealing. And that's why he's killing and destroying. But today's the end. Come on, Christians. Raise your hand and say, no, we're here to be victorious today. And the victorious is because you fought a good battle and you won today. Let me let me pray this prayer. Everybody repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. I accept the fact today. I accept the fact that I have been condemned. I have been condemned. I have been trapped. I have been trapped. By the enemy. By the enemy. But today, Lord. But today, Lord. I am thankful. I am thankful. That I have one more move left. That I have one more move left. And that move is Jesus. And that move is Jesus. I accept you today, Lord. I accept you today. As my king. As my king. And I thank you today, Lord. And I thank you today. That you're moving me, that you're moving me into a victorious position. Into a victorious you're changing my attitude. You're changing my attitude. And I'm getting ready. And I'm getting to have ready. the greatest comeback. Have the greatest in comeback. the history, in the history of, comebacks. of comebacks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For loving me. For loving me. And choosing me. And choosing me. And being the word. And being the word. Over me today. Over me today. I am delivered. I am delivered. I am set free. I am set free. I am saved. I am saved. And today. And today. I receive. I the greatest gift, the greatest, the greatest trophy, the greatest and that is eternal life. That is eternal and I will live for you live forever, forever as you show me how. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, put your hands together if you believe it. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from our weekend experience. If you want to partner with us as we see lives changed and God's kingdom advanced, you can donate through our website, highestpriestchurch.com. And if you would like to stay up to date with all that God is doing here, be sure to follow us on Instagram at highest.praisechurch and like us on Facebook at Highest Praise Church. We can't wait to see you soon.